Okay, so I want to talk tonight about reality. <laughs> um, I think I said this when we first moved over to um, the Zoom calls when we all uh, had to take shelter in place and talked about, um, you know, how years and years and years and years ago I committed to making sure that the Dharma talks uh, were connected to the reality of the world we live in. And because a lot of people come to practice and really want to separate outside and inside, and that's a false separation. It's not reality. And so when there's stuff going on in the world, like the last two months, I've been talking about how we hold the pandemic, how we hold our experiences, our emotions, things like that. And the last couple of weeks, there's been the uh, when the data have been coming out about um, the disproportionate number of black and Latinx people who have been impacted by the um, coronavirus that is huge that's a big thing and that's um, you know and I was listening to a podcast this morning where they were talking to about that so that was really kind of something that was that was hanging um, hanging around and that I was feeling and then the last couple of days the story about Ahmad Arbery blew up and you know the the, the black man who was murdered by the two white people in Georgia, which apparently they have just arrested them this afternoon. So um, the outcry apparently had uh, an impact because this happened two months ago and nothing was done. Um, so I wanted to kind of, uh, because that's what's coming up for me and to acknowledge the reality of what's going on. It's not, we're not, it, there's, I think we're moving into a different phase that, you know, for a minute it was just like, we're all in the closets going, eh, and now reality, I mean, the, the, it's shifted and the experiences are shifting. So, you know, I want to talk about that and how we hold it. We can't ignore these things. Um, it's difficult. It's heavy. It's one more time, um, you know, and I think my experience and a lot of people I talk to because of what we've been through with this pandemic, that our experience, our feelings are so here, our feelings are so much closer to the surface, and the impact it, it seems to be much greater uh, than it normally would be when we have a lot of distractions. Because we don't have so many distractions. I mean, we could we can watch Netflix eighty thousand hours a day if we want, or do those things, but but really, there's a lot less distraction. Um, so the pain shows up, the anger shows up, the grief shows up. What do we do with that stuff? I mean, we have our go-tos, we have our distractions possibly, but I, Buddhism actually teaches us um, how to hold this stuff, how to work with it in a wise, skillful way. And I want to talk about a couple of things tonight. And I, I've been talking about how do we hold this stuff for the last few weeks, not this in particular, but um, difficult emotions. Um, it's it's the instruction is to be with, be with the feelings that are there, as much as you can. I mean, every once in a while we do need to take a step back and be, you know, give ourselves a break and 
eat ice cream and watch stupid movies or whatever it is we do. But we really, the invitation is to not run away from these things intentionally and stuff them down or do whatever it is we do. And we have to learn how to be with these feelings, how to be with the grief that um, that arises. Uh, what is it? it says grief is the natural, is the heart's natural response to loss. You know, and we have to uh, uh, grieve to allow ourselves to feel the pain. I mean, we have to allow this stuff to be there. We have to hold it. Um, we have to acknowledge it. We have to be willing to mourn. So that we can move through the the um, uh, integration and acceptance of, of reality. Um, it takes courage and not many of us or a lot of us um, don't want to do that. It's a lot easier to do something else, whatever it is, however we show up. So the invitation from Buddhism is to sit. That's what we were doing in meditation, sitting with bringing ourselves back sitting with sitting with the grief sitting with the pain but the grief the grief is um the grief can be challenging we and and one of the things that is really important to remember is that grief has no time limit you know i know a lot of times we think okay should be done by now um and i know when we have people in our lives i saw when my brother died and my sister-in-law was grieving and people would go, all right, you know, time's up. Are you not over this yet? And it's not because they wanted her to be over it, but because they were uncomfortable with her feelings. You know, that's that's why we want things to be over, because I don't want to feel it. I'm uncomfortable. Um, so be, be willing to turn towards, be willing to hold, be willing to say hello to. Um, these feelings. And then the other feeling that arises is anger. You know, when you hear these things on the news, when you read this stuff, the anger that shows up, and it makes sense. Um, a lot of times, I think there was somebody in a class a couple of weeks ago that said she was really grateful to hear that Buddhism, or we don't say, no, anger is wrong, because she was taught so many years that anger is wrong. It's an understandable response, reaction to what you see. But what the, 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 um, the important thing to realize or pay attention to is to not let the, be consumed by the anger or let it control you. You can have anger without be drowning in it. But that, again, requires paying attention. It requires mindfulness. It requires... Um, uh, a willingness to feel the discomfort, to feel the discomfort. Um, I have seen a lot of wise, wise people um, express anger without being driven by it, without allowing it to slip into hatred, which is really easy to do. And in fact, there's a, um, a wise teacher, uh, Reverend Jim Lawson, who's been teaching Gandhi and nonviolence for over 60 years, probably close to 70 years. And he says, and I'm sure this is a, a teaching of Gandhi, he says, don't become that which you're working against. Don't allow your emotions to um, bring you to become the person you um don't want to be. But if we don't pay attention, it's easy to be subsumed by this. 
And so what you want to do is separate anger from hatred. They don't necessarily walk together. Um, and as the Buddha taught, hatred only begets hatred. Hatred never ends through hatred, only through love. And so what you want to do is allow or transform your anger into compassionate action. That can be done. It, it can be a springboard to taking action, um, to ending, ending injustice. Um, so seeing, because anger is one of the, the, um, the three poisons or the three, <clears throat> the three, the, the greed, hatred, and delusion. There's the greed, excuse me, there's the anger that we see, which turns into hatred, excuse me, it's not anger, but it's hatred, um, which drives so many people. There's that, look at the world around us, hatred. I mean, my, my husband's best friend, best, my husband's best friend lives in Tucson, and he said people are now um, ridiculing people who wear masks. It's like, why do we have to move to that place? It's extraordinary, it's, but it's so easy to move into those kinds of um, unkind, unwise, unskillful behaviors if we don't pay attention. It's a slippery slope. It's a very slippery slope. Greed is another one. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, I know you all see this. I mean, just the, the story about the large multi-million dollar corporations getting the um, assistance, the small business assistance from the, um, from the government. Tell me where that is in greed. And this is all underlying, this is, this is a lot of delusion greed drives this greed too, because it's rationalized. It's absolutely rationalized. You know, and, and the delusion is what feeds um, so much of the inequity and injustice that we see today. Because there's there's been centuries of uh, discriminatory practices in housing and healthcare and education and everything. And so we don't, see, people don't see the water they're swimming in because they're diluted. And I, I saw that a couple of the district attorneys in um, Georgia with this Aubrey case, we're going, well, I don't see any reason why these men should be arrested. They're living in this world of delusion where this backward thinking makes sense. That's insanity. That's deluded. And, and, and so all these things we have to wake up to by practicing mindfulness, by being willing to see where these things cause harm, to say this is not right. This is not okay. And so mindfulness is key. Mindfulness is absolutely key to all of this. Um, we have to see clearly. We have to be willing. We have to make the effort. It's, you know, the Eightfold Path always folds into this. Paying attention, mindfulness, seeing clearly. That's the first noble, excuse me, um, the first factor in the Eightfold Path, seeing understanding greed and hatred and delusion, understanding suffering, being willing, and then being willing to um, also cultivate, the other important part of this is cultivating kindness and compassion. It's You don't want to show up with a hardened heart because um, it only gets you to that place of hatred 
and you want to go in the other direction rather than the place towards hatred you want to walk away from hatred away from unskillful behavior I think that's what I was talking about last week was the letting in the good was like really being present with what's what's happening and um, when you are willing to be in touch with reality when you're willing to touch your deepest pain blinders fall away and then you begin to have compassion for yourself and the more compassion you have for yourself the more compassion you have for others I was listening to a piece of a Brene Brown video um, uh, podcast and she was talking about empathy being the antidote to shame and she was saying the more empathy you have for yourself the more empathy you have for others and it's and, and it's been my experience and from people I've heard the more you soften to yourself the more open you can be to others so this cultivation of the heart is so important to go along with this clear seeing this insight they go hand in hand or they're the wise heart they're they're this heart compassionate heart with the wisdom and discernment that you're not that you're not um, continually causing harm or moving in this direction um, again it's not easy um, it takes effort and um, it takes a willingness um, but there's a couple of quotes Jack Cornfield says by practicing with mindfulness we align ourselves with those who refuse to hate and with each moment of compassion sow seeds of peace so when we we practice mindfulness we align ourselves with those who refuse to hate because you see the damage that hatred does to yourself and to others and Audre Lord says we have to constantly study how to be tender with each other until it becomes a habit we have to be tender to each other to ourselves and to each other until it becomes a habit really important it's so easy to fall in the other direction it's so easy to paint people into others us and them you can see it around you every day we are a society of us and them right now it's it's just like um, it's just force of habit because people aren't paying attention because they're driven by fear and they're not willing to face the fear or investigate it they just want to fix it and get out of it I swear I think I don't know I'm just making this up but I think a lot of those protests to reopen the ones that were you know busting into government houses and things um, state state houses I think it's because a lot of it was because they were, didn't know how to deal with the discomfort of sitting with their feelings and they needed to get out there and, and do something and blame and create stories that which are fed by I'm not going where they're all fed by but it's like it's in the best interest of people to um, some people to support that kind of a movement to support that that and uh, um, antagonism towards each other it's 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 extraordinary and we have to we have to wake up to it so there's the cultivation of mindfulness there's the cultivation of the heart so we see clearly and we don't fall into that path of hatred and then there's the third piece 
which I think is incredibly important, which people forget about in Buddhism, which is taking action. Absolutely taking action. Do do there's a quote from a, a, a young activist in South Africa who died of AIDS in Cozy Johnson who said, do all you can with what you have in the time you have in the place you are. You don't have to solve any of the world's problems. Just do what you can with what you have, where you are in the time you have. And Charles Johnson, who's an author, he wrote the great book, The Middle Passage. He says, right conduct, that factor of the Eightfold Path, translates Dharma into specific actions of social responsibility. So that this, this, these teachings are a call to action. They're not just to sit on your ass and, and look at your feet. It's actually a call to action with doing what you can with where you are. And there's a, there's a, a piece by Bhikkhu Bodhi, which um, I unfortunately have talked about this kind of stuff for years and years and years. Unfortunately, I keep having to give this talk. I've got piles of notes, as you can see, going back maybe seven, eight years around this. So there's a Bhikkhu Bodhi quote where he wrote, um, he wrote a piece for Buddha Dharma, Buddha Dharma magazine. <clears throat> it's called A Challenge to Buddhists. And he says, if Buddhism in the West becomes solely a means to pursue personal spiritual growth, I am apprehensive that it may evolve in a one-sided way and thus fulfill only half its potential. Attracting the affluent and the educated, it will provide a congenial home for the intellectual and cultural elite, but it will risk turning the quest for enlightenment into a private journey that, in the face of the immense suffering which daily hounds countless human lives, can present only a resigned quietism. It's true that Buddhist meditation requires seclusion and inwardly focused depth, but wouldn't the embodiment of Dharma in the world be more complete by also reaching out and addressing the grinding miseries that are ailing humanity? <clears throat> Somebody last week asked me, um, doesn't equanimity mean just staying, sitting in your house? meditating and going oh this it's like this oh it's like this oh it's like this and it's like that's that's a possibility you can go find a cave and spend your life there or you can you can be called to action Thich Nhat Hanh is a is an amazing example of that when the bombs were falling around his monastery in Vietnam during the Vietnam War he said I can sit here and meditate or I can go out and do something and we he's been doing something ever since um, Bhikkhu Bodhi continues in each historical period the Dharma finds new means to unfold its potentials in ways precisely linked to that era's distinctive historical conditions I believe that our own era provides the appropriate historical stage for the transcendent truth of the Dharma to bend back upon the world and engage human suffering at multiple levels even the lowest, harshest and most degrading levels not in mere con contemplation, but in effective relief-granting action illuminated by its own world-transcending goal. The special challenge facing Buddhism in our age is to stand up as an advocate for justice in the world, a voice of conscience for those victims of social, economic, and political injustice who cannot stand up and speak for themselves. This, in my view, is a deeply moral challenge marking a watershed in the modern expression of Buddhism. 
I believe it also points in a direction that Buddhism should take if it is to share the Buddha's ongoing mission to humanity. I find that incredibly powerful. That is a call to action that, that um, resonates with me deeply and a lot of other people I know. Um, it's not just about sitting and contemplating, even though that is absolutely part of what we do. It's about getting up and doing something. It's about taking care of business where you see it, where you, where you um, find a need. So um, there's just a couple of things that I want to um, 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 touch on. Um, and um, ways to move into the world. We don't just go willy-nilly, but there's wise ways to take action. There's, there's um, skillful ways to move into the world. And... Um, who is it? This is a this is ten guiding principles for socially engaged Buddhism, and this was put together by Donald Rothberg, who's a teacher at um, Spirit Rock. He uh, he's very very writes a lot about engaged Buddhism. And Diana Winston, they wrote it together. Diana Diana um, is the uh, director of Mark Mindful Awareness Research Center at UCLA, and they wrote this um, almost twenty years ago. And the first one is establishing the condition for safety, but have a, an ethical commitment grounded. Your work should be grounded in an ethical commitment to help, not to harm. First precept, do no harm. An ethical commitment to not causing harm. Um, and then the second one is mindfulness in action. Being mindful. What are you doing? Paying attention all the time. It's not, again, rushing willy-nilly, but cultivating mindfulness in all you do. I mean, it, it seems um, um, to go without saying, but we have to be mindful about being mindful. It's really easy to just, you know, fall into the habituated patterns of being. Um, clarifying your motivation and your intention. You know, what is the intention? You know, be present um um, be aware of what you, where you're going, what you're doing. So, um, you know, what did they say? And dedicate your actions to the benefit of all beings. Go beyond mere do-gooding and fighting so-called depression or just getting things done into the realm of Dharma practice. So keep your spiritual practice connected, stay connected to your spiritual practice as you move through the world. I find that incredibly empowering and liberating. When you can hold these teachings as a groundwork, as a foundation, as you do social justice work or whatever work you're doing, it's incredibly powerful because you have this moral um, moral uh, uh, imperative, so to speak, that says, you know what, this is, this is for the benefit of all beings, to end suffering. That's pretty strong. That's, that's, I feel comfortable standing on that. Um, opening to pain and suffering, open to compassion, as I spoke to earlier. You have to be willing to feel. You can't shut down. When you shut down, you cut yourself off. If you only want to feel pleasant, uh, or you shut yourself off from unpleasant, you don't get to choose. You just, you, 
you know, you become a robot, an automaton, you know. And when you take care of yourself, you take care of the world. That's the old put the put the oxygen on your own face before you put it on somebody else's face. You have to take care of yourself. Compassion burnout, compassion fatigue is too real. You know, back away when it's too much, especially right now. I I last week I was really successful at staying away from social media. This week I fell right back into it and I can feel the difference. I can absolutely feel the difference. So it's like time to back off again. Um, take care of ourselves. That's what I talked about last week, guarding the sense doors. Um, not knowing, but keep going. You know, our work is to remain open to what is unknown, mysterious and confusing. You know, watch your agenda. You know, don't go in with an agenda of how it's supposed to be. Listen to the people you're working with. Listen to the people who are impacted. That's really important. Um, cultivate the ability to listen. Um, so you can hold the multiple questions and perspectives that arise. And be present to whatever is showing up, whatever's coming up. <clears throat> and watch out for the tendency to other. You know, what is it says? Um, interbeing and co-responsibility. It's we can other the other person, them, those people. That's that doesn't help either. We're all human beings. They are beings that are causing harm, that are lost in greed, hatred, and delusion. But when you other, it's easy to slip into that that hatred. It's easy to just slip into the dismissiveness and 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 cause harm in some way, shape, or form. So watch that. Um, it says we we um, we realize that there is ultimately no other to fight against although some bear greater responsibility for suffering. That's an important point. There are some people who bear much greater responsibility because they're deluded, they're lost in their greed and their hatred, and they cause suffering. That's, but don't necessarily other them. Understand that that's what's happening. I talked about this before. Transform your anger. Don't let it overcome you. Let it be a springboard. Act from equanimity. Act from a place of balance, of even-mindedness. You know? In all actions, balance acceptance and understanding of the present moment and its causes and conditions with compassion and the intent to respond to the suffering you see. And this is important. Be committed to action, not the outcome. We want things to be a certain way. We, I have to, this has to, I'm going to do this and this better be the result. And then we get um, discouraged because it's not turning out the way we want it to. And I mentioned those very wise people who have been doing this work for many years. I see one in particular. He says, okay, this is the way it is. This is, this sucks. This is, this is not good. This is, what is it? This is the man who was the, teaching nonviolence for 60 years and he talks about this is plantation capitalism at its finest and it's still here and we have to fight against it he doesn't get he just is so matter of fact of this is still happening we're still working towards it he's in his 90s and he's like we still do this and it's like okay he's not attached he wants to end suffering but he doesn't have to see it in his lifetime i'm not going to see the end of this shit in my lifetime i know that 
Uh, I'm not going to see how this stuff ends up, but I'm, that doesn't keep me from doing what I need to do. You know, we do what we can with what we have, where we are. And then a couple of other things that I took from Diana Winston's How to Be a Bodhisattva. She has these 10 steps to being a bodhisattva, which is the, the being that forgoes their liberation until all beings are liberated. And this goes in with the letting go of the outcome. Think in geologic time. This stuff takes forever, forever. Um, and know that there will be obstacles. You're going to fall on your face. We're all going to fall on our faces. And know the history. Really understand what, what's come before. That's why it's so easy to be dismissive if you don't have an awareness of the systemic issues that have been bogging us down for centuries. If you don't understand that, it's so easy to be dismissive. In this country, the United States has a, a mass amnesia. I've seen it time and time and time again in my lifetime where they go the good old days i remember after 9 11 this is this is something that just floored me 9 11 um there a lot of concerts were canceled and crosby stills nash and young were contemplating um i think they were going to have a concert and not cancel it and i read something that said oh crosby stills crosby stills nash and young are going to hold their concert, they hearken back to a more innocent time. And I'm like, what the fuck? The, you know, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, the 60s, you know, 1969, Vietnam, Kent State. Have you heard, which we just had the 50th anniversary of Kent State last week. And it's like, what do you mean more innocent time? This massive amnesia that we have, that's why education is so important. You have to educate. You have to educate yourself about your part in things. You have to educate yourself about um, privilege. I have to educate myself about my privilege. Um, and I have to understand intersectionality, that I'm a white person, so I've got all that privilege. I'm a woman, so I experience the systemic misogyny. Um, and now I'm that I'm in my 60s. There's also ageism. I mean, there's all these things. It's complex. We want simple answers. There's no simple answers. You have to embrace the complexity of it and start where you are. Start. You don't have to fix it all tomorrow, but do what you can. Whatever makes sense for you. Don't cause harm. That's important, too. I'll say that again. Don't cause harm, you know, and um, stick with your practice. Joanna Macy, who's also an amazing activist, says practice offers inner resources for social action. You know, that, as I mentioned earlier, this, this practice has given me a foundation to use my voice in certain ways that I couldn't have done 10 years ago. You know, that's why I get to be on, on this board of this organization that's that fights for um, um, economic justice. Um, it's all, I think it's all tied to economic justice. So those are my 27 cents on this. Any questions or comments on any of this? Thank you for visiting Undefended Dharma. 
These teachings are freely offered. However, if you would like to make a donation to help support the technology that makes these podcasts possible, please visit marystancavage.org backslash support. Thank you.